Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Howdy, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, your host, along with producer Bill. Hello. And this is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show, and we have one clear objective, to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you, our listener, better than before in business and in life. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're also on C-Suite Radio Network. You can get us on TuneIn Radio and anywhere you subscribe to your favorite podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. And uh, just a reminder that we have a new program for you every Tuesday. And on the show today, Bill, Mm -hmm. which do you think would be less expensive traveling from New York to Philadelphia on which... Uh, type of transportation. I'll have that for you. So uh, if you fear rejection, do you ever fear rejection? Sure. If you fear rejection, I'm going to give you a framework to deal with this fatal fear. We're going to have some listener questions and Facebook's new currency Libra all on this go round of better than before. But first, I want to invite you to come join my new Facebook community, Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach. We'll have some great things planned for that Facebook group, and we want you to be part of it. So you can just go search for that and like it, and you're in. Okay, according to my friend Bruce, who lives in New York City, Mm -hmm. what do you think would be cheaper? So if you wanted to go from New York City to Philadelphia, what would be the cheapest way for you to get there? Not hitchhike, okay? I would guess a train. Yeah, He, he says, and this surprised me, he takes a lift From New York City to Philadelphia, so that's the competitor to Uber. Right. He takes a lift from New York City to Philadelphia, and it's less expensive than a train ride or an airplane flight. Wow. Yeah, it's like $157 or something, which is cheaper than a train ticket or a plane ticket. Wow. So he just schedules the lift, come pick him up, take him to Philadelphia, take him home. So thanks to my friend Bruce for that, that trivia. So... If you ever want to go from city to city that are in general proximity of each other, you might want to check an Uber or a Lyft. Right. I don't know how that business model can continue, but... I'm guessing it's door-to-door, too. Okay, so have you heard about Libra? Uh, Just the Zodiac sign. Yeah, well, this is the new cryptocurrency. It's a digital currency that uses cryptography, a method of protecting information to verify transactions that Facebook is coming out with next year. So Facebook is going to have their own currency, let's say, right? So they're coming out with it next year. People who use Facebook's Messenger, WhatsApp, uh, or who download a standalone app will be able to access it through a digital wallet. Do you use Apple Pay or any of those? No, I don't. It's an alternative to Bitcoin that is powered by blockchain. Facebook hopes it will be used by a much wider base. So uh, in ancient Rome, just for the fun of it, so 
you always wonder how people come up with these names, right? In ancient Rome, the Libra was a unit of weight. So as we use ounces or pounds or whatever, they had the Libra. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's four Libras. <laughs> so it's a, it's so, so Facebook's whole plan here is to use blockchain. So like, if you don't know what blockchain is, blockchain is this digital ledger that is distributed across a large network of computers and run by powerful mathematic computations. It's like a giant spreadsheet that is shared widely. Every time someone updates the spreadsheet, for instance, by logging a financial transaction, every other user can see it if you have permission. That theoretically provides transparency and prevents any single central source from controlling the flow of information or money. So a lot of large companies are using blockchain to do their transactions because it's all transparent. Everybody sees everything that's in that blockchain. Not everybody can see it, but everybody who's got permission. So Libra, the first thing you think of, like, oh, is that like Bitcoin? Sort of, but not really. So both are essentially digital versions of cash designed to allow users to directly exchange value online. But Facebook is looking to build payments networks by creating an online ecosystem on which users can buy things and pay each other. Bitcoin was conceived as a payment mechanism, but its network has had trouble processing a large number of transactions quickly. Instead, it's evolved into a kind of digital gold used to store value rather than exchange value. Hmm. So the reason Facebook is getting into this anyway is it says its currency will make it possible for basic financial services to millions of people around the world who don't have a bank account or who can't afford to send money overseas. It could help small businesses that can't get access to credit. They're setting up a regulated subsidiary called Calibra. So Calibra will govern Libra. And that will provide access to the new currency and will separate financial data from other social data that Facebook uses on its platforms. So will Libra go up and down in value like Bitcoin? This is a question I had, right? Because you're always looking like a stock. You know, what's Bitcoin worth today? Sure. So uh, Facebook says that uh, because Libra will be backed by hard money assets like bank accounts and short-term government securities, similar to a real currency like the American dollar, it won't be as volatile as Bitcoin. This consortium that will be governing the whole thing are people like MasterCard, PayPal Holdings, Uber, uh, Spotify, have already signed up to the consortium that will govern Libra. Facebook wants it to eventually have 100 business members who are part of this. So my big question was, when can I buy a coffee with Libra, right? Or when am I going to be able to use it just to buy something, right? So Facebook says as early as next year, but that will depend on where you live. Libra will probably only be available in a few places to start. And initially it will only support about a, uh, initially, it will only support about a thousand payment transactions per second. Now that sounds like a lot, right? But compare that to Visa, whose network handles twenty-four thousand transactions per second. Mm. Alibaba, uh, the Chinese company, right, processed more than two hundred and fifty transactions per second on a busy shopping day last year. Mm. Right out of the gate. Our United States government says, hold on a second, Facebook. Don't go too fast. We want to check this out before you put it out to people, right? 
Jerome Powell, who's our Fed chairman, said that the central bank has significant input into the payment system, the e-commerce network that Facebook is seeking to disrupt with its Libra currency. Banking regulators also enforce anti-money laundering controls on such businesses, and we will wind up having quite high expectations from a safety and soundness and regulatory standpoint if they decide to go forward with this, Mr. Powell said at a news conference. Well, that's not the only hurdle they got to clear. Okay, so also they have to face critics on Capitol Hill where the Senate Banking Committee plans to hold a hearing next month to probe Libra. So they got to get a lot of sign-offs before if they want it to be working next year. Right. So you and I can go buy our lunch with Libra. I'm looking forward to it. Do you take Libra? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, before I order my food, I got one question for you. Do you take Libra? All right. Here's some bankers' thoughts about just in general about the evolution of money and banking. This is a massive inflection point, said Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire. Google, Amazon, Apple are all going to have to respond to this in some way, and so are the banks. The CEOs of banks need to realize the intellectual capital being poured into this is the best of the best said CEO Barry Silbert. It is going to change banking as we know it. Not surprisingly, the legacy bankers were somewhat more cautious about the speed of disruption. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said, between now and 24 hours from now, 800,000 people will walk into one of our branches. So on the death of credit cards, Synchrony CEO Margaret Keene said, habits are hard to break. I think it's going to be longer than people think before credit cards go away. But even they acknowledge the tsunami wave that is coming down the road. Charles Schwab CEO Walt Bettinger said, The world is changing, and if you aren't changing your business model, you will be challenged. Andy Ratliff, CEO of Wealthfront, said, Millennials are not all sitting in their basement smoking weed. The old, uh, oldest ones are almost 40. They are saving and investing and will adopt to Libra pretty quickly. Patrick Gauthier, who runs Amazon Pay, when asked about this week's Facebook news, said, It's fresh and it's speculative. But at Amazon, we don't deal in speculation. We only deal in data. So there's the lowdown on Libra. We got listener questions coming up next. I will attempt to answer your questions that you sent to info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. But first, we're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant, it doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. 
Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before, and at least once a month, we take listener questions, and uh, Bill keeps them hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar, and I don't get to see what they are, so he reads them to me, and I get to try to answer them. Do we have some questions this episode, Bill? Yes, we do. Okay, wonderful. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, Tony. How do you feel when you find out you made a mistake or don't know something? How do I feel when I've made a mistake or I don't know something? Well, I tend to be pretty hard on myself over making mistakes. So that sounds like a two-parter, so I'll answer it in two parts. I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else could be. Uh, I've tried to lessen that. Uh, I think that comes from years of athletics. Uh, Producer Bill, you and I were talking about that before, you know, especially if you had uh, mentors and coaches that were hard on you when you – you uh, made a faux pas or an error. So I just think that dialogue's in my mind. I'm very, very hard on myself when I make mistakes, especially if I think it was something simple. I don't worry too much about if it's my first or second time doing something, but if it's something I've done for years and I forget to do it or if I do it wrong or I make just a silly mistake, I'm pretty hard on myself, and that's that's not healthy. So... I've tried to get better at that. And then the second part is if I don't know something, I, I is that right? If, how do you feel if you don't know something? I'm extremely comfortable with that one. I'm extremely comfortable with not knowing. I am very comfortable with saying I don't know the answer to that. If I'm working with a client, I will say I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but let's find it together. Or I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll find out, do some research and get back to you or something like that, that that does not make me uncomfortable at all. I know it does make some people uncomfortable if they don't know the answer or they feel heavy pressure in order to have the right answer all the time or to, to have some kind of answer. And people get in trouble for making stuff up. And they get in trouble for saying things that isn't right or they got to go back and walk back later. You know, I told you that last Thursday. Well, I shouldn't have told you that. It wasn't right. It was this. When you would have been better off just saying, I don't know. I'll go find out. I'll get back to you. I think it's pretty healthy to be able to uh, be totally comfortable with not knowing. Uh, when you mess up, there's probably a healthy balance there in being wanting to do a good job and wanting to satisfy yourself that you did a good job, but yet giving yourself a break too. Every now and then, I mean, you know, moving on pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. This listener says, hi, I'm hoping you choose my question for a future episode because this is something I am very much struggling with. Well, we have chosen yours for this program. Yes. My question is, I am scared to ask for help or admit I don't know something. I know I need to conquer this. Can you help? Well... Um, yeah, you need to get over that a little bit because if, if you're, 
afraid to ask for help, that is a strength, not a weakness. And you need to remind yourself, if you need to remind yourself 10 times a day, if you need to write it and put it on your uh, note on your computer screen, if you need to do that affirmation 500 times a day, you need to remind yourself and put the thought in your head, asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. Asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. So you need to, you do need to conquer it, but the way to conquer it is you're going see, you have a thought in your head that asking for help makes you look bad or asking for help makes you look weak or asking for help is embarrassing. And you have to conquer that thought with another thought. You have to substitute that thought with another thought. And the way to do that is with an affirmation because you need to hear yourself say it because you will believe you more than you'll believe me or anybody else. That's why it's a fear that feels real to you is because it's your own thought. And you'll believe your thoughts before you believe somebody else's thoughts. So you need to replace that thought with asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. And if you'll do that several times a day, I think you'll get more comfortable. And then take action and ask somebody for help. I don't care if it's just asking for directions on how to get from one place to another or, hey, um, how do you do this little simple thing or something? Uh, just build build it up. But there, you, you just got to grow that self-esteem and remind yourself that people get promoted and people get noticed when they engage in dialogue. And especially if they're engaged in helpful dialogue. And you may not have thought of this before, but instead of looking weak, what if your supervisor looks at you as inquisitive and curious? Hey, this person's asking questions. This person's asking for help. Because the worst thing can happen is if you get hung up on a task or a project and you don't know and you get scared for asking for help and then you procrastinate and you get behind and you get backed into a corner where you're coming to a deadline and you wait to the last possible minute to ask now it's deteriorated into a bad thing and yeah there is a possibility you could look bad then but it's because you positioned yourself to look bad so it's better to engage in the dialogue and ask for help right off the bat yeah sounds good Uh, this comes from john in charleston south carolina tony my team and i love your podcast oh that's good to know thank you and we listen each week my question is for you Can you teach people to move away from fixed thinking and develop a growth mindset? Yes. All right. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll elaborate. Uh, But that person has to be willing. So the answer is, can I teach them? Yes. But they have to be willing because it's going to be painful. Because when people develop a fixed mindset, it's typically linked to a scarcity mentality. When people have a growth mindset, it's typically tied to an abundant mentality. And I'll tell you, and almost any other expert will tell you, that if you want to grow, you have to put something in. So there's going to be an investment. So in other words, you're going to lose something before you gain something. That's very hard on a fixed mindset person. Because on a fixed mindset person, they don't want to have a risk. They want to make the salary. They want the guarantee. They want everything fixed. They want the formula. They want the soup recipe that you don't deviate from and you get soup every time. 
a growth mindset person knows that you may have to go backward before you can go forward. The tide goes out, then it comes back in stronger. They know the give-get principle is in effect. You're going to have to sacrifice something or put something at risk in order to grow or have something that's going to be a bigger reward. And on a, with a fixed mindset person, that's hard. That's difficult because they want the guarantee. There are very few guarantees in this world. And so the growth mindset person knows that I'm going to have to go backward before I can go forward. And uh, that's, that's painful for some people. And a growth mindset might not even work for some people. You know, we need people who, I mean, we need entrepreneurs who are more growth mindset, you know, who will sacrifice and put things on the line in order to grow something that probably isn't going to grow for, you know, perhaps maybe five to seven years. It's not like planting a garden where you go out, you put seeds in the ground, you water it, you till it, and six months from now you got tomatoes. It usually doesn't work that way in business. It usually takes, you know, five to seven years to get up and running and get cash flow and that sort of thing, depending upon the business. And for some people, oh, that's too scary. So it's okay to have fixed mindset people, right? That is not, I'm not one is not positive and the other is negative. But based on the question the guy asked, I'm just trying to answer it. Can you teach somebody to go from fixed mindset to growth mindset? And the answer is yes. But I just explained to you the difficulties in doing that. Sure. And it might not be for everybody, mm -hmm. right? It just might not. They may never be able to get comfortable with it. And in that case, then they don't need to go there. Other people may get comfortable with it. And then glory, hallelujah, you're there. So the answer is yes, but not without some pain. Sure. Okay. Well, our next listener asks, do you like public praise or does it make you uncomfortable? I enjoy public praise, but I don't have to have it. You know, the other day, uh, we went to a Leadership Columbia graduation lunch, and I was honored for nine years of teaching Leadership Columbia, and I didn't know that I was being honored. It was kind of sprung on me, and I was a little choked up by it, and I didn't, I wasn't, I, I cracked a good joke. When they gave me my award, I cracked a pretty good joke and got everybody laughing, which that'll tell you right there, I'm not comfortable. I wanted to loosen up the room because I wasn't sure what I was going to say next because it was, I, all these thoughts were running through my mind and it was a very heartfelt moment and I, I kind of you know, stumbled over a few words, you know, and my voice tightened up and I got a little weepy and, you know, so... Public praise at times, if I don't know it's coming, will affect me emotionally. I don't know if that's being uncomfortable. I wasn't uncomfortable. I was just a little more emotional than normal. But um, I, I don't have to have it. I, 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 I will get results in private that are just as important to me as praise in public. I mean, when I see the things that are done for people by the things that I do, that's that's really awesome for me. That is my public praise. But if somebody stands up in the middle of the room and says nice things about me and asks me to stand up and take a bow, I don't have to have that. But it's nice. I mean, I'm a human being, right? Sure. I mean, it, it, people like it. So, mm -hmm. Our next listener asks, how do you deal with criticism? I feel like my boss is highly critical of me and others. 
I don't want to let it bother me, but it really does. My question is, does criticism leave you with hurt feelings, or do you usually just shrug it off? Well, um, yes, it is possible to hurt my feelings, for sure, and it probably depends on who it's coming from. Uh, If it's somebody that I really respect or I have really strong emotional feelings about, it can it can hurt you know if it's if it's negative criticism it can be you know it can be really hurtful if it's somebody I don't know and I don't I don't know them so I don't have any respect for them at all um it doesn't bother me at all I'm in my head I'll tell you what dialogue is going in my head it's going who asked you you know and and that's solicited feedback versus unsolicited, right? I have people in my life that I respect and honor and trust that I want to tell me, right? If my slip is showing, please, please say, right? And I, I will value that. And if it's, you know, if it's real negative or critical, it might hurt my feelings. But if it's really helpful, it might make me feel, thank God you told me. Right. And so that's that. But if it's unsolicited and somebody's just picking on me, uh, you know, I don't enjoy that at all. I don't think most people do at all. And so I think I think we do have to develop a little bit of a tough skin in order to function because some people's emotional intelligence is at an all time low and they don't even know how what they're saying or doing is affecting other people. They don't have a clue. You know, it's like they're wielding a knife and they don't really know that they're cutting people. They just don't, they don't know. They don't understand, you know, they're, they, uh, and then other people do. It's very calculated and it's very, uh, wrong and it's very mean. And some people, they feel better or bigger by making other people smaller. And that, to me is no place to work. I mean, that's a toxic work environment and you need to either have a conversation with your supervisor and get your feelings out there and see if it can be resolved. And if you uh, come to the uh, conclusion, it can't be resolved, then you need to find another workplace. Well, that's all we have this week. Okay. Thanks for the questions, everybody. At least once a month, we ask uh, your questions and we attempt to answer them on Better Than Before. If you've got a question you'd like to run past me, just send it to info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. More on Better Than Before after this. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Welcome back to Better Than Before. So my question for you is, it's based on uh, fear, of course, and we've been doing uh, how to conquer various fears on our last few episodes of Better Than Before. Do you fear rejection? Sure. It, what situations usually? Uh, it could be social. Okay. When uh, we as leaders need emotional comfort, Sometimes we don't have the capacity to remain present and engaged when we are faced with meeting new people or someone uh, that we know has uh, an emotional reaction like anger or resistance to us. Uh, We fear that uh, we're going to lose the relationship or that we've been rejected as a person. So sometimes we try to avoid those emotionally charged discussions. Uh, and what we, we're missing opportunities when we do that for us to learn and for the other person to learn and for us to grow. And sometimes the need to, to avoid that emotional discomfort can make the loneliness unbearable. So, we, so it's almost like we make ourselves as leaders, um, we put ourselves in a bubble. And we say, boy, leadership is a lonely job, or it's lonely at the top, or this is a lonely journey. Well, it doesn't have to be. You've closed everybody off, right? Because your need to be accepted has overpowered you, and now you have this fear of being rejected. And the best way not to be rejected is to close yourself off from everybody. And I will just warn you about this one. This one has some uh, insidious side effects to it because when you maintain constant emotional comfort and you get cut off from other people's uh, emotions, sometimes you get cut off from your own emotions. And then what happens is you're not able to respond appropriately to the emotions of other people. It's almost impossible for leaders to make difficult decisions when they are paralyzed by the fear of other people's emotional responses. And again, like we talked about last week, it creates this movie in their head of this dysfunctional relationship that doesn't really exist. But you're imagining talking to another person that's rejecting you and you get into that movie and that head movie that you've got running convinces you, oh, I shouldn't even talk to them. I shouldn't even, you know, engage with them. Because I've already seen the movie in my mind, and I don't want that to come true. And it's really irrational. So over the next seven days, you know the, you know the drill by now, but over the next week, twice a day, maybe once at midday and once at the end of the day, you want to stop and you want to ask yourself some questions. First question, did I get or did I feel rejected today? How did I respond to that rejection Question three, how could I have responded more effectively and stayed connected? Because sometimes what happens is people say things and they don't know they're rejecting us, right? That wasn't their intention, but we read it as rejection. We heard a phrase, we heard a word, we heard a tone of their voice, and somehow or another that kicked off the movie. Number four. What situation did I avoid today because I was afraid I was going to be rejected? And what was the result of that? Because I avoided it, right? I Again, I'm in this vicious circle of closing myself off emotionally. 
Question number six, how could I have engaged that person and hung in there? Uh, have you ever, uh, I'm sure you have, watched a train go by on train tracks? Sure. So holding those train cars together, when I was a kid, used to have the tr- model train set and you'd have a pin that held the cars together, right? You'd have the pin. And if you wanted to, to dislodge that car from the rest of the train, you pulled the pin, right. right? And that's what we call it sometimes in psychological circles is pulling the pin. You disengage from the train. You let the train roll on without you. And you left your car back here, right? So you got to ask yourself, what made me pull the pin? What made me disengage from the train? The whole team's going this direction, but I didn't. I went the other way. I pulled the pin, and I disengaged and, and discoupled, and I, I'm not with the team anymore. Uh, emotional responses, dialogue, perceived wrongs or insults, all kinds of stuff make you feel like you're being rejected. And if you ask the other people, they may not have meant that at all. They may not have known that at all, right? And so finally, question number seven, what did I learn about myself and my leadership from this whole experience? So what did I learn about myself and myself as a leader? Uh, The fact that I pulled the pin, I disengaged, I let the train go on without me. And what do I need to do in the future to stay engaged and stay with the momentum, right, of the train? So that's, that's today's uh, lesson on uh, dealing with fear of rejection. That's our show today. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Follow us on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and Clear Vision DEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and our chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that we'll be back with another episode of Better Than Before next Tuesday. And don't you dare forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.